soccer delusion shared by two brothers in close association. Footy Ado, a delusional soccer podcast. And today I'm going to start the podcast with a story titled, When it rains and you're outside, you get wet. That's the saying, right? That, oh my gosh. So yesterday was an eventful day. won't say it was a good day, but it was definitely an eventful day. Um, six of us traveled to Misconduct Tavern in Philadelphia to watch the Europa League final between Arsenal and Chelsea. And uh, if you're listening to this, I assume you know how that went. It was a, a 4-1 win for Chelsea keeping Arsenal out of the Champions League next season. But uh, that wasn't the, the only thing that happened on the day. That was not the only miserable thing that happened on the day. But uh, there were some positives. So we leave misconduct uh, in about the 75th minute. Once, once uh, Hazard scored the fourth goal, um, I decided to close my tab out and couldn't get out of there quick enough. Everyone else was on the same page. The bar pretty much emptied very quickly at that point. Um, and we decided to go, go and, uh, you know, drink some sad, sad wine. So we travel over to Zavino in Philadelphia. Once again, uh, all get, uh, glasses of wine. We're hanging out and we're trying to figure out where we're going to go for our next move. What's the next stop? And we decide that we're just going to walk until we find a bar. And this was a bad decision considering the impending rainstorm. Uh, that was coming, and it was coming quickly, and when it got there, it was raining hard. Um, so we're running through the streets of Philadelphia with no destination. We're running through the streets, raining. We would stand under an awning, and then we would run to the next awning, sometimes two blocks away, and uh, all six of us soaking wet. And we get to a place called the Barcelona Wine Bar which we, we knew we were heading to a row of bars, but we didn't know what bar we were heading to, and this one was, was the perfect destination. Um, so we, uh, we get in there, and first of all, me and me and Brother Nick are wearing white T-shirts at this point. We had taken off the Arsenal jerseys, and the manager comes up to us and tells us that we won the white T-shirt contest because they were completely see-through. We might as well have walked in that restaurant without shirts. Um. But we sit down, we all, we uh, order a couple pitchers of sangria to share, a couple appetizers, and all of a sudden this manager that told us that we won the wet t-shirt contest comes over with a bag, and he starts taking stuff out of the bag. This man went next door while it was still pouring and bought us all t-shirts. He bought everybody white t-shirts, six of them, which in no way did he have to do that. Um... So that was, you know, that was a, a nice thing. We're soaking wet, trying to have a good time. We all, we all took turns going to the bathroom, so we saved our seats at the bar uh, to dry off, um, wiping ourselves down with napkins. Uh, some were having an easier time than others. Sal was struggling very hard because my man has sun poisoning uh, as well. So, um, and after that, we decide that, uh, you know, they just gave us these nice dry T-shirts. We're going we're gonna to lift to the next destination, get a cheesesteak, and then head home from what was mostly a miserable day. But there were, you know, that, that was the one positive in it. There's still good people in the world.
but what the uh, fuck was that game? Holy shit. Oh my gosh. I should I should tell you you are you are peaking on on your audio levels and I know that was probably the quietest you're going to be on this entire episode. So I'm going to sit further gonna, away. Sit further away. Okay. Oh my goodness. Are you okay? You, um you, you, so, look, you look tense, Zach. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh um asshole. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, certainly eventful. Amazing that the manager did something like that. Didn't have to do that at all. Um, so that's that's kind of cool. That's a cool uh, gesture for a complete stranger to make. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, you said you had left in the seventy fifth minute. I was at a bar in Santa Monica, Yield King's Head, um, alone there. Of course, there was it was it was crowded, but I, I didn't know anyone there. Um, and I think. Joe Willock had a miss. There was a nice combination with Lacazette, and he had a, a shot he probably should have scored on, and he missed, and that's that's when the Arsenal fans started to leave. But misconduct is very much an Arsenal bar, correct? So so once... Yeah, it is. So there was probably like three Chelsea fans in there, and uh, one of them was being so cocky that we could actually hear people talking about uh, wanting to beat this shit out of the guy. Oh, boy. But, like, it wasn't just like... like he, this guy... Um, I've, I've had situations in bars where watching soccer and someone's gotten in your face. This guy wasn't in your face, but he was on Instagram live walking through this bar, showing all of the Arsenal fans, like putting the camera in people's faces. Didn't do it to me personally, but like just showing all the people's reactions and shouting to his one friend across the bar who was sitting in an area that a Chelsea supporter was not allowed to be sitting in. Um, Mm. His friend, obviously an Arsenal fan in that situation, but he's shouting across the bar and like it was pissing people off. But yeah. it's so half of the bar, only Arsenal fans are allowed in that one section. That's where the Arsenal supporters sit every week, whether the bar is packed or whether there's only 25, 30 of them. Um, so that stayed the same. But like I said, there was only about there, there, there was a, a Chelsea bar around the corner. Okay, what is the name of the Chelsea bar? It's Fado. Oh, okay, Fado. Okay. Um, so that guy was at a bar with his friend, but his friend wasn't anywhere near him. What? Like, go to a different bar at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. It was very cocky. But uh, yeah, mostly an Arsenal bar, and the mood. The mood was good in the first half. It really was. The place was loud. Um. And then once once Chelsea went ahead, it was completely silent, completely mm-hmm. silent. Um, but let's uh, take away, let's let's s- step away from our personal experiences through the day and actually talk about this match because there is a lot to discuss. Um, and it is worth noting that the second half of this podcast we will be discussing. Uh, the upcoming Champions League final. Um, so if that's what you're looking for, stay tuned as well. But um, first off, I mean, let's let's take it from the beginning. Let's take it an hour before kickoff. The lineups are announced. Um, what are your thoughts on Chelsea's lineup that they put out? Um, pretty much expected it. There was, I mean, you didn't know whether or not Emerson or, or Marcus Alonso was going to play, and then you didn't know if Ingolo Conte was going to be healthy enough. Um, 
And then I guess Pedro and William were the other two because obviously Hazard is going to play. But I expected Giroud up top. He's the leading scorer in the in the competition. But pretty much straightforward. I I I wasn't too surprised that Pedro got the look over William, despite how well William's done in this specific competition. Pedro has won everything. He's won three Champions Leagues. So you're going to play him in a European Cup final. Um, Con- yeah, Conte, I was surprised. They were saying he was 50-50. Um, so, you know, you weren't really sure whether or not he was going to play. But, I get, you know, he, he looked he looked to be all right. He played he played well, and he, he looked healthy. So so that, that was good. Um, and then, yeah, the back line was pretty much straightforward. It's, it's, it is, it's what I expected. So for the Arsenal lineup, for me, um, it was – it came out as, as I expected it to. Um, there wasn't too many surprises in it besides maybe the fact that it was uh, a back three. I would I, – I had a hunch that it was going to be – that Monreal was going to be on the bench and we, they were going to play a back four and Matteo Guendouzi was going to start in the midfield. But other than that, I – I very much expected it to be. I expected Chaka to start. I expected Torreira. I expected Ozil at at the number ten. Um, in hindsight, though, looking at the lineup, I very much wish they had gone with that back four. I wasn't too angry pre match that they hadn't. Um, but it's uh, it it wasn't. It wasn't very good uh, past 35 minutes, maybe. Um, the first 35 minutes, Arsenal had more meaningful possession, really, than Chelsea. Looked the like the, more likely to score, but wasn't really creating too many chances. Um, but, yeah, a couple, a couple things that, in hindsight, it's easy to say uh, you would change the lineup. But really, I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed with anything I saw from in, in that starting lineup. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think up until I think Giroud had a shot on like in the 38th, 39th minute that check saved. And I think it was right. I think that, that movement, that play right there was probably where it started to, uh, shift a little bit, but yeah, I mean, first half was mostly, mostly Arsenal it was a largely cagey affair, but it was, you know, tilted towards, towards the gunners, I think. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, nothing, there was no. Um, huge chances. Other than, of course, you know there was the the uh, the playing question with uh, Lacazette and Kepa. Yeah, um, you know, uh, at the moment I thought it was a penalty, but actually, while I was waiting for you to get online to record, I went back and watched highlights, and uh, that's that's not the the contact on there was not enough. Um, I understand why Lacazette went down. Mm-hmm. But the contact really wasn't enough. So it, if that had been Chelsea that got that penalty on something as soft, I would have been disappointed. Um, yeah, I thought it could have gone either way. Watching it, of course, yeah. I was grateful it didn't go. Uh, it wasn't a penalty, but uh, like when it when it first happened, it's you're you're standing in a bar uh, with a hundred or so Arsenal supporters. Obviously, oh, it's a you penalty. Think, <laughs> it's 100% a hundred percent. That's penalty. a, a stone wall. <laughs> Yeah. This ref is fixing this match if he doesn't point to the spot. And the yeah. the worst part about it is 
the TV angle that you see of refs, especially when you can't hear uh, the announcers, pointing for a goal kick is the same exact thing as pointing for a penalty. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I all the art like everyone thought in the bar that it, the bar I was in that it was a penalty, and then of course he was like putting his hand up to his ear. So I was like, okay, was it's not guaranteed yet. Let's see, let's see, and then it, then they he didn't give it. And I was like, okay, and <laughs> breathe a sigh of relief. But yeah, yeah it, it look, <laughs> I need to maybe work on work on those uh on those gestures on the on the hand signals because it's the same thing. It is, and like. I like I don't need the referee to be doing a backflip to signal for a penalty, but I don't even think that the ref- referee needs to do anything different. I think that they just need to show me a different camera angle of the referee. Yeah, um, show me where he's pointing. Yeah, because at that point, it the the bar the bar went nuts. Like a goal was scored when you're given a penalty in a cup final and in a nil nil game, it, they have every right to go to go mad and. Every member of our party did, um, but that entire bar. And then when they point, when they show the, uh, when they show Keppa about to take a goal kick, it was unbelievable. Like the the energy was just drained. Like there was clear anger, but the energy was drained because well, how how do you not point to the spot? But in hindsight, I'm okay with it not being a penalty. Do I wish that it was given as a penalty? Absolutely. But like I said, I would have been furious if it was a penalty uh, against my team. So um, fine there. And then I know I spoke with you last night. You were kind of a punching bag for me last night, just like you may well be right now. Um, but I, I don't. I don't expect to talk too much on, <laughs> on this episode. Granite Shaka takes a shot with his weak foot from outside the box that grazes the bar. If that, if his shot to foot lower and that. Lacazette and Kepa incident is given as a penalty. Not only is it a different day, the the whole day is completely flipped on its head from what we did end up getting, but the the outlook on an entire season, and maybe and not not even just this season, but for next season, it completely changes. Mm-hmm. Um. So. You, you talk about little moments and you need to take your opportunities when they're when you're they're given to you especially in a one-off game like this that will dictate the the direction of the club going forward um but those th- those were the, pretty much the two big incidents and also the Giroud chance in uh, around the 38th minute that you mentioned those were the the big moments of the first half going into the half I wasn't I wasn't in the thought that Arsenal deserved to be ahead, but I was more so in the thought of if any team was going to have a lead after that first half, it was going it should have been Arsenal. So not not that they deserved it, but if it if it was going to be one way or the or the other, it it was going a little bit in Arsenal's direction. Yeah, and you know, halftime was was a big was sort of a a big thing. Um you know, it, it, what's so weird is you look at most of Chelsea's season, it was very much the same thing that Arsenal dealt with in this game. Uh, you know, like you said, they didn't, they had most, of the, you know, they had most of the ball, most of the, uh, most of the chances, but none of them were really like huge chances, but they looked the better, the better team. 
Um, and then what normally Chelsea would do would come out in the second half and um, concede in the first 10 minutes. That's, that's something that ha- has happened so often this season, and uh, Maurizio Sarri has come under criticism uh, as to what um, he does at halftime. And, you know, a lot of the times, like, I've Chelsea writers, Chelsea fans on Twitter I've seen have just been perplexed all season as to what he could possibly say to the team at halftime for them to come out and look that much worse. But it was it was kind of interesting to see it be opposite. You know, they came out at halftime and they they were the better side and they obviously they got their goal uh, early on. And like you said, those moments in the first half completely could have completely changed this game. I think with both these teams, um, they are not strong enough mentally, not as strong as, you know, like a team like Tottenham or Liverpool or, or Man City, whereas if if whoever goes in ahead first, um, you know, it you don't see the other team really fighting fighting back for it. So I think if, like you said, if those two moments go Arsenal's way, it's 2-0. I don't, it's, it's, it's a completely different game because I don't think Chelsea fight back into it. And similar to, to Arsenal, once they gave up that first goal, you know, they, they ended up getting another goal, but not until Chelsea already had three on the board. So it, it was very much too late. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was down to who who had that first breakthrough and the other team just not being able to react to it. Yeah, and uh, no no side, n- neither side made a change at the half. I know Unai Emery um, has, I, I want to say out of the Premier League managers this season, in the league, he made the most changes at halftime, um, but he he liked what he saw in the first half. Um, the whole thing with going into the second half was like Chelsea weren't weren't great in the first half. I can't really see them being worse than they were in that second half, which was worrying. So, tell me as a Chelsea supporter, what were your where was your confidence at as uh, the match kicks off for the second half? Um, I mean, I was I was feeling okay. I think because I think Chelsea, you know, they went the whole first half not uh, not as the better side. Of course, they had they started to grow into the game as the second half came to a close, which probably made me feel better than I would have had they not. Um, but again, Chelsea don't instill a whole lot of confidence into you. Um, in the opening of that second half, just how this based on how the season has gone. So, um, with that penalty call going in our favor, I thought it was. I thought we were. We were. Uh, I was feeling. I was feeling a little bit. I don't want to say lucky, but uh, uh, it, it it helped how I felt because I, I don't know. I wasn't. I wasn't feeling too nervous going to the second half. It was okay. They were the better side. We grew into it as the second half. It's game on for the second half. It's anyone's game. It's sort of how I felt. Yeah, I wish I could have said I felt the same way. Um, and the the whole thing with going into the second half, it, it's a it's a European final. Regardless of what's up for grabs, it's a European trophy is something you want to take home. Um, and when you win the Europa League, you're if you had not already uh, claimed a Champions League spot, you get an automatic. Uh, spot in the group stage for the following season. Chelsea don't need that. They finished in third. Um, so they, the they, only they thing already they had it. So 
I think I think is, Chelsea really benefited from not having that pressure. Right. I mean, the only thing really Chelsea were playing for, they're in a better pot now next year. Yes. That was the only thing that really changed. And obviously you get that nice send-off for some of the players who were leaving. Um, but yeah, it's Chelsea weren't, they weren't playing. They, they really didn't have, like Arsenal needed this game. You know, and that's what's, I think from an Arsenal standpoint, that's what's so disappointing about it. They're going up against a team who uh, who traveled to New York, to, or not, to, to New England, played a friendly, had a player, one of their best players in this competition, one of the best players all season, tears his Achilles. This is all leading up to the final. They come back, they have to fly back. You know, obviously it's not that big of a trip from from the East Coast of the U.S. to uh, to London. But then, of course, you know, they have to go over to, to Azerbaijan. So they have all this stuff going on. Then in the game, the day before with training, their manager storms off. A couple of their players get into it. It very much doesn't look like... It seems like they're in disarray almost. And to to go up against this team with all this stuff going on uh, and to lose the way they did it, it's it's very... It's very disappointing uh, for this Arsenal side. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. the The two storylines. So, Mauricio Sarri was not saying in his pre match uh, uh, pep talk, "All right, guys, we really want to be in a better pot in the Champions League or next season." But you would have to bet that Unai Emery said was telling this Arsenal side that if you want to be playing in the Champions League, you have to win this game. Not that there was no motivation for Chelsea, like I'm saying. It's a European final. You want to take this trophy home. Anytime there's a trophy up for grabs, you want to take it home, whether it's the Community Shield or it's the Champions League final. Um, you want to take that trophy home. But the the uh, the outcome of the game really weighed way, way more on Arsenal. It weighed heavily on Arsenal uh, because it's a, it's a do-or-die for Chelsea it wasn't, um, but maybe maybe that helped Chelsea play with less pressure. Eden Hazard was brilliant in the second half, um, knowing full well that this is most likely his final game for the club. Um, you know, nothing is set in stone until he signs that contract and they make the announcement that uh, he's a Real Madrid player. But uh, I, all bets are are on him playing in Spain next season and not at Stamford Bridge. So um, I think that definitely helped Chelsea. Uh, Giroud now, what, uh, 11 goals in 14 matches in the Europa League. Chelsea are the first team to win the Europa League going unbeaten. Um, they drew, what, the final group stage match, I believe, and then mm-hmm. both of the semifinal legs. They drew in as well, but obviously advanced um on penalties and um, it's a, a great feat for the, for the club. Maurizio Sarri now has his first, has his first trophy um, in management, which is, it's crazy that he's uh, taking control of the sides that he has. And this is the first time he's won silverware, but um, he finally got the job done. But the, the Arsenal in the second half, um, they, they were weak. They, they collapsed after that first goal. It takes character in a cup final to go down and say, we need to keep ourselves in this game. They made mistakes. They went down even more. Um, another mistake we, leads to a penalty. Seen them, 
Yeah, and we've seen them go down against Chelsea. The first their, their first meeting this season, they went down 2-0, came back. Um, but obviously this is a different stage. Yeah, and this is... They very much looked like Arsenal away from home. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not good 20 miles up the road, let alone uh, going to Baku for the final. Um, but... You know, the storylines that really surrounded this match didn't actually play too big of a part. It's still, it's an absolute disgrace by UEFA to allow a final to be played where one of the team's players cannot travel to the country. And they said that he'd be fine, yet the police were stopping people wearing Mkhitaryan jerseys. So that we all know that that was complete bullshit. But, um,. It was, and, and the other storyline for Arsenal and the team selection was Petr Cech. I, at, out of the four goals, I don't see Bern Leno stopping any of those. Um, maybe he stopped one, but the outcome isn't different. So it, I'm at least happy to say that those storylines didn't dominate the game. Just Arsenal were Arsenal, and they weren't good enough. Yeah, um, can we talk a little bit about Mesut Ozil? Holy shit. Because uh, I think the first time I saw him in this game was when he was being subbed off. They mentioned, I heard his name mentioned a couple times about him working his way into the game, and I just, it never happened. And then they took him off, and I was like, honestly, this is the first time I've noticed he was on the field. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was in a very good attacking area several times in the game. And usually you praise him for his decision making and in finding the right pass. And he made the wrong decision. 100% 100% of the time. And the maybe 90% of the time, but the 10% of the time that he was making uh, the right decision, his pass didn't actually come off. So the thought might have been mm-hmm. right, but um, the execution was poor. And he was subbed off in the 77th minute for, uh, for Willick. So in... No way do I think that Mesedoza will play another minute for Arsenal. Um, I think that substitution is that that speaks so so loudly, um, and because Willick is is not the guy you bring out in that situation. Um, I think that. I think Willick somehow Emery sees that as a reward for his good play this season for Willick, um, and you know he'd be happy to be coming on the Europa League final. But a, a healthy Danny Welbeck was on the bench, and we needed goals. And Unai Emery said, "No, I'm going to bring on a young midfielder to kind of show that uh, the change of the guard is here, and Ozil is going to be gone, and Willick." Could play a bigger part um, in the team next season, but Ozil uh, was terrible this season. Uh, he had what one good game against Leicester City at home, and he had finished the season with less assists in almost double the minutes than one Alexis Sanchez since signing his contract in January. Uh, 18 months ago, or just about 18 months ago, 
He has four assists. Uh. Um, so it's certainly the end for for him. But also, I want to speak about the the one bright spot for Arsenal. Alex Awobi coming on, 66th minute. He looked 30 seconds after he'd come on, he already looked like the team's best player on the day. And then three minutes after he came on, a banger of a goal. Um, certainly, certainly the uh, <laughs> the best goal scored on the day, but the one with the least meaning. Yeah. Um. So. I'm, I'm- I remember, like, we just with like talking to myself, watching, like, don't give them an inch, don't give them anything here, like, just, just keep, like, don't let them back into this game. And then that happened, and I was like, like, for, I think Willock tried to do something similar, and he just totally botched it, and then it got headed back to Awobi, and he just nailed it, and I was like, oh my gosh, here we go. Yeah, it was. Um, that was it. A a real banger of a goal, and um, honestly, ah, had. That goal is somehow going to dictate transfer business because Arsenal have already come out and said that uh, that a central defender and a box-to-box midfielder are the two uh, most important positions to strengthen in. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that, but I think a very close third, or if you're going to count that as 1A and 1B, a very close second, is a goal-scoring winger. And you know that they're going to be... Stan Kroenke, we need more money for uh, for a goal-scoring winger. Do you see a Wobie's goal in the Europa League final? There's a goal-scoring winger right there for you. It's bit, like basically a new signing if you can get him to play that way. So, um, goal actually may be a negative thing. But um, a Wobie next season, I think that there's a, a chance that he could be the replacement for Aaron Ramsey. I think he can. I think he needs to move into a central midfield position. Owobi. He doesn't have the attributes to be an out-and-out winger, um, at least on a full-time basis. But I, I think he he deserves a run in central midfield. So we'll see where that goes. I do want to um, talk about a couple different things regarding Arsenal real quick. Besides. Um, the match itself, but kind of the domino effect that it'll have. But uh, can you do me a favor and just sum up uh, your thoughts on on Chelsea's season? Uh, it's, I mean, it's 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 been a weird a weird season, um, tumultuous at times. I, but it, I mean, it's it's got to be a success. It's it, I you know I've been very critical of of Maurizio Sarri throughout the entire season um but i think he's he has done such an amazing job at dealing with the the chaotic nature that is uh chelsea football club during uh a non you know title winning season in terms of you know in the league uh but you know he got he finished above spurs whether that was like like down to spurs and arsenal and united's poor form at the end of the season they finished third they made two cup finals, won one of those cup finals. I I mean, he I I still don't necessarily know if he's the right man for this club, just uh not just down to his management uh or his success this season, but just some different things and how how he's handled some things. 
but I think he has to be given a chance. It's it would be ludicrous not to give him a chance uh, next season, based on what he did this season. Uh, that being, said, I think, uh, you know, I. I, I wanted Champions League. That's what I really wanted for this club. Um, it's it was nice to win the Europa League. I I mean the thing is, you don't you never want to be in contention with the Europa League. You want to be in the Champions League, and I think you know if I had lost it, obviously Chelsea since they were already in the Champions League, it wasn't it wouldn't have been a big deal, as big of a deal for me. I mostly wanted it because I knew Hazard is destined to leave, and that would have been a nice send off for him. Um, but, and also I think with, with the Champions League, which we'll talk about being two English clubs, I think it sort of diminishes, uh, the Europa League for the win for, for Chelsea. Say it was like Barcelona and Real Madrid in a, in a final and Chelsea were the only, like Chelsea won the Europa League. Yeah. There's two clubs in a, in a bigger game in a bigger cup final. So it sort of takes it away a little bit, in my opinion. Um, but, I mean, it's a trophy. So, and, and the season has to go down as a success. There you go. Um, so a couple of other things I want to talk about. First, I want to mention the owner for Arsenal. And it is absolutely ridiculous for the owner of a football club like Arsenal Um to for that owner to not go to the UEFA Europa League final. It is not acceptable for him to not be at the at a cup final in any way shape or form. That is not how you lead the club that you are now the 100% owner of. You're no longer the majority shareholder. You are the shareholder. It is completely unbelievable that the owner was not at the final. That it, everyone already knows. We know that he doesn't care about what happens on the field and whether or not Arsenal are winning games as long as his, his income, as long as his pockets are boosted, as long as this club makes him money. Now, I think that the type of owner that Stan Kroenke is is actually something that football clubs want. And the type of owner I would like at Arsenal isn't much different than Kroenke. Because it's he is setting forth a good business model. The way that sports used to always be was you could spend whatever your club makes. That's what Arsenal do. Their income drives what they're able to spend. And that's literally how you run a good business, whether it's a football club, whether it's a restaurant, whatever it is. But you need to know the, the the owner needs to care more about the club. And not showing up for a cup final shows that he doesn't care about the club. So if Arsenal brought, had a different owner that went by the same business model and said we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, lose money 
in, uh, you know, as we're not going to lose profit just to blow $100 million on a transfer fee for a player that may or may not work out. I'm fine with that. But it's not, the, the owner has not shown any ounce of caring about the team or the supporters of the club. And that's not acceptable. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest problem. So next after the, after the owner, um, people have questioned the management. Um, and I still fully believe that Unai Emery is the, the person to be in charge of Arsenal at this point. Um, his contract runs till the end of next season. It's not like there's much risk there. Um, if they wanted to uh, sack him in the middle of next season, it wouldn't cost nearly as much as it would as if uh, he had three years left on his contract. Um, but I I don't really see Emery as a guy that's going to come in and you know win the Champions League with Arsenal, let alone uh, win the Premier League. But I think he's a guy that can get the team into the Champions League. Um, but if he doesn't do that next season then it's time to go elsewhere. Now, if you were a manager, would you see Arsenal as an attractive place to to go in, in the club's current state? No, I mean, currently not. Not with the ownership. I mean, the team is certainly exciting. You have two excellent strikers, um, and you have some young talent that, you know, that's that's exciting with you know and the stadium is nice like but just that ownership the way that the club uh is run the way that the fan the fans relationship with the owner it's it's a little toxic so i i mean i certainly don't think it's at the point where it's like okay that's definitely um a no for any manager i think bringing the club back to its heights um of you know a decade or so ago two decades ago, you know, like, I think that's certainly something that would be attractive, but it's, it, there's, there are some negative aspects that would keep some big people away from it. Yeah. So it, it almost feels like, so if Arsenal get into the champions league next season, I would expect them to, um, trigger the clause that, uh, gives Emery, uh, another season in charge. I don't think that they would give him a long-term extension in that point. Um, but if Arsenal don't qualify for the Champions League next season, I think they're going to go with someone that's a little bit uh, more of n- of an unknown in the managerial sense. Um, but someone that comes to mind is like Mikel Arteta, who uh, was rumored to be in for the job before Emery was hired. Um, there's rumors now that he's going to take over at Middlesbrough. So it's time to actually see. You know, he's been on Pep's staff for a few years, it's time to actually see what he can do as the lead man at a club. Um, and say he has a good season with Burrow. Say that does happen. He goes there. They have a good season. And Arsenal don't get into the Champions League. You could do that. You could look at somebody like uh, a Freddie Youngberg, who is a former player. He uh, won many trophies with the club. And he is a coach in the youth setup, so he knows the club inside and out. Um, if you want to go with even more of an insider, 
or do you take a risk on a younger English manager who hasn't really been tested at you know at the top like a an Eddie Howe or someone of that nature? But um, I think that Emery right now is the best that Arsenal can get. I don't think if they were to say, you know, this season wasn't what we expected um, and we're going to we're going to get rid of Emery, I don't think that they would be able to attract a manager such as uh Allegri who has left Juventus. I don't think that they would be able to attract uh, you know, I feel like there would have to be a better offer for him. Um so I don't think that they would really be able to attract someone right now that is better than Unai Emery because Emery really, he has something to prove. And, um, you know, is he just a guy that's going to, you know, get a team close to Champions League level and then, you know, play in the Europa League and, you know, he's won the competition but uh, three times before but obviously didn't make it a fourth? Um, or is he is he going to take a club to the next step? Is he going to um, challenge for the title with Arsenal. I don't see that happening. Um, and I don't know if the higher ups at Arsenal see that happening, but I don't see them getting someone that's better. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, there's, there's a culture issue there too. Um, you know, you look at it, they Chelsea and Arsenal, both, you could tell watching this game, they're both, off the quality levels of the of the teams ahead of them in both European and just strictly uh, Premier League football, um, but I think Chelsea still just have a couple of those winners left in their squad. You know where you look at Arsenal and you look at Emery, who's won this competition three times, but you look at players who helped Arsenal win trophies in recent years, like the FA Cup. Um, Giroud was playing for Chelsea. Ramsey wasn't playing this game. Alexis Sanchez was a big factor in those wins, and he's you know he's elsewhere. So they don't have that that winning culture. Um, those big time, big game players that were they weren't available to them. And you know Ramsey was on the squad, but of course he was injured, and you know he, he but he's he's not going to be there next year. And so there you have to bring in those type of players and you need to put your, the players that you do have in a situation where they can become winners. Cause there's players at Chelsea now who weren't in that category, but they're, they're starting to build their resume being a part of this, this European run. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, speaking of culture, like, uh, check, uh, did an interview talking about the culture at Arsenal saying, you know, like, um, when he was at Chelsea, if they drew a match, it was like being at a funeral when you got to the dressing room, there was disappointment. It's not like that at Arsenal. They don't have the same pressure on them, the players there. And that signals for me, you need a culture change from top to bottom because I can't imagine ever being anything but disappointed with any result that's not a win. Uh Draw or loss. I understand a loss is worse in the standings, but a draw is not a good result um, nine times out of ten um, for a club the size of Arsenal. I should I should mention that because a draw might be a good result for Huddersfield playing in the Premier League, but uh, not quite for Arsenal. So right. do you I mean, bring you in at- 
do you bring in someone that's like you mentioned someone like uh, I brought up Freddie Yumberg, like someone who has won everything at Arsenal and was part of a team that that the culture was closer to that of Chelsea, which Petr Cech is referencing. Or do you bring someone that's a complete outsider that is not going to have any sentiment for players at this club, um, whether or not they've won trophies there, whether or not they're adored by the fans, but solely based on the fact that they will fight no matter what to get a win in every single match? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think either way it could work. It's just, I think, but like like you said, it's got to be top to bottom. You look at, we can we talked about Stan Kroenke, and you compare him to Roman Abramovich. You know who who who's often criticized, or the, the, a lot of it is talked about. You know he's very trigger happy with his managers, but that that's part of what made that mentality so instilled at Chelsea. A draw felt like a funeral. Uh, Antonio Conte wins the FA Cup, finishes fifth, gets fired, stuff like that. They people are he maybe overdoes it, but holds people accountable, and that is it shows you that you know some things like even if it feels good enough it's it's not good enough it 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 asks the absolute best out of everyone at the club and you look at Stan Kroenke and you look at the culture at Arsenal and it's very much um comfort it's comfortability it's comfortability over chaos whereas Chelsea is chaos over comfortability and sometimes it doesn't work for Chelsea sometimes it's too chaotic this year was a a stressful season but you look at Chelsea the past 16 years, I believe they've won 16 trophies. I'm not sure if that's the right number, whether it's 15 or 16, but you know, you look at it, that's, you know, that as crazy as it is sometimes, as tumultuous as it is sometimes, it has been the probably the most successful team in England in that time. Yeah. So, Continue. you got it. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I think Arsenal need to find themselves in a situation where they're out of their comfort zone and that can allow that mentality to, to sort of uh, grow. Yeah, and that's that's where, you know, when I was mentioning Kroenke and saying he's the type of manager that I want, or the type of owner that I want, just not the owner that I want. Um, it also brings in the question of, you know, Roman Abramovich, I cannot tell you all the details of how he's made his money and whatnot, but there have been stark criticisms uh, of him as as a person before, as a as an owner. Um, the same can be said now for, you know, it looks like the Newcastle takeover is uh, going to happen. Mike Ashley is finally leaving, and a billionaire owner is taking over um, who has contributed to horrible human rights violations. Um, so I'm happy that the club that I support don't have an owner in that category. I really am. And, um, but I also want Arsenal to have the same ruthlessness when it comes to the manager, um, in that aspect, I would gladly, it's been what 15 seasons, 11 managers or something like that. I would love to have to have that same idea if it's bringing in trophies because it's trophies at the end of the day is what matters and um and that's just that's it's what football is now it's what 
modern day football is with um with managerial changes you heard Allegri when he left Juventus said oh I won't spend that long uh, that much time at at one club again that's five years back in the day if you were saying oh yeah I don't want to be here for five years you weren't going to get hired but now it's it it's uh, the position of a manager at a football club is is very much a short-term position it's like a three to four year thing and then at the most and then if you don't move on after that, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, why why hasn't a change been made? Um, so I want Arsenal to get to a point where they say fifth place using the Europa League final. That's not good enough. We got to bring in someone new who can uh, who can make a change. But also they need to have a director of football in place so that even if the manager is changing, something stays consistent with the club and uh, the hierarchy and who's deciding um, who to bring in and recruitment and whatnot. All right, I think that is the end of my Arsenal rant. Um, and I, It's uh, time to take a short ad break. We'll be back to talk about the Champions League final. Welcome back to Footy Ado, a delusional soccer podcast. Um, it is just about time to talk the Champions League final between Liverpool and Spurs. But first, we must mention uh, Aston Villa won the championship playoff final 2-1 over Derby County. And they are the third and final team that have been promoted to the Premier League for the 2019-2020 season. They join Norwich City, who won the championship, and second-placed Sheffield United. You excited to see Villa back at the top? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, especially this team, Like, I, I think out of the, the two sides that went up against each other, um, Villa felt very much like a um, more of the Premier League side. Um, I was I was pulling for, for Derby, personally. I wanted to see Frank Lampard get promoted in his first season as manager, which would have been really cool. But, um, you know, John Terry gets to come up as an assistant. So that's that's pretty cool. He was, uh, you know, he was playing for them, trying to get him promoted where they, and they were, they fell short. Uh, I believe it was, I think the year before, I guess. Yeah, last year uh, uh, in the playoff final, they're only, the Villa was only the fourth team to play in the playoff final two years in a row. Yeah. So um, um, it's cool to see him get there. Darby have, have come close a lot. Four times in six years they've been part of the playoffs. Um, they have either gone out in the final or the semifinal four times in the past six years. They have gotten so close to getting over the hump, but just haven't quite gotten there. Yeah. Um, and it'll be rough for them next year because I know, I mean, like, a lot, some of their players are, I know, Mason Mount for, for them in the midfield has been pretty solid all season enough to where Chelsea will want to give them a look in preseason. So they might not even have uh, players like that next year. So they're going to have to maybe buy someone or get someone else on loan and, but, or just, you know, work a little bit harder for it. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if Darby uh, perform as well this season. They kind of overperformed this season. Um, Frank Lampard has got them playing really well, which you may see him take a job higher up. So we'll, um, We'll keep an eye on that. Um, there were rumors that this was before the Europa League final that Sari was still going to go, and Lampard 
could have been an outside uh, contender for the job at Stanford Bridge. I would think um, that's a little too soon, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I think one day he will uh, be managing in the top flight for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's it's weird to see. It's weird to say that a team uh, who has been in the very close to getting promoted for a couple years in a row overperformed. Uh, mm-hmm. By doing exactly the same thing, but they they have. I mean, look at the. I think there was a vast difference in quality between them and and Villa. I think even Leeds. I think Leeds was a better team, but you know they had that great comeback, uh, which you know I think it it stems from the type of manager that that Lampard is and the type of player he was. Um, always had a strong mentality. So we'll we'll see we'll see what they can do next season. But yeah, I mean. We got Norwich, Aston Villa, and Sheffield United uh, coming up next season. It's going to be interesting to see if they can they can do do better than the promoted sides uh, of this past year. Obviously, Wolves did uh, very well uh, breaking the top half of the table, um, and but I, but I think the recent years, a couple years before. It, teams had stayed up you know we had Huddersfield and Brighton uh stay in the top flight for at least a season after coming up Brighton is still around um just barely this was the first time this past season just barely yeah but I mean two of the teams that got promoted went went directly back down which is something that hadn't happened the couple years before so we'll see how how these teams fare yeah, um, definitely looking forward to watching uh, the new the new players that come up uh, with those three clubs and seeing what they can bring to the top flight. Um, now, on to the Champions League final. Um, there is plenty to discuss. Spurs versus Liverpool. This is Liverpool's second straight season in the Champions League final. They lost to Real Madrid um, the unbelievable performance from Loris Karius um, granting uh, Real Madrid their third straight title, um, their third straight season as the champions of Europe um, in that 3-1 loss, but uh, Spurs are playing in their first Champions League final in the club's history. Now, uh, Liverpool, looking at last season, it's definitely an improvement having Alisson in goal. Um, Like I said, Carries through the ball at Benzema's legs for the opening goal and for the third goal, let uh, Gareth Bale shot right through his hands. Uh, the second goal, which was Bale's overhead kick, was the only one that you really couldn't fault him for. But um, they've got a fantastic uh, player in between the sticks now and uh, look more confident going into this final than they did last season. Now Spurs are getting a little bit of confidence back. It looks like Harry Kane's going to be fit for the final. Will he be involved in the starting 11, or is he going to be an option off the bench? That's the question. Um, I think either option is is good for them. If they decide, though, that he can't go uh, 90 minutes, then having Harry Kane off the bench is certainly a positive thing. Um, He could come on and change the game immediately, but um, Spurs will be hoping to use him in some capacity. And then with Liverpool, there's, you know, doubts surrounding uh, James Milner. Um, 
Nabi Keita is not going to be playing. It doesn't seem. Uh, and it looks like Firmino is going to be healthy. And it's just the same situation for as, as Harry Kane. How healthy is he? Is he fully fit? Can he go 90 minutes? Or will he uh, make a substitute appearance? Um, now, going into this Champions League final, for Spurs to win, what do you think is is an X factor for them? Um... I think it, I think it is down to what they do with Harry Kane. I think they're best served having him come off the bench. Um, I don't want to take away what uh, what Harry Kane has done for this team, but they very much found a groove without him this season. I think they'd be better served playing semifinal hero Lucas Mora and you know Hyunming Son. Like I think those guys are better options to to work into that that front um, unit for them. Uh, and then, you know, if Kane, want, if, they, if they have Kane come on for the final 30, uh, that would be, uh, I think, a better option for them. Um, but also, I think it also, I mean, Spurs, it's how their their defense handles that uh, that attacking three that has been so dangerous for, for Liverpool. It's going to be a really, it's going to be a really exciting game. Yeah, I agree that it's it's. I think it's going to be a a one goal game. I don't think it's going to be anything like the Europa League final was. Um, the biggest thing for me is can Musa Sissoko handle the battle that he's up against um, with the the Liverpool midfield? They have you know Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum. Seems like that that probably will be the starting three, considering the injuries they have with Keita and Milner. Um, so, is is Sissoko up to it? He very much has been um, in the recent uh, months with with Spurs. He's been that big uh, that big defensive midfielder. Um, you know they could pair him with Harry Winks. So um, there there's an option option there, or do they play uh, Sissoko in, a, in some more attacking? central midfield options. Um, we'll wait and see for the team news, but um, I think it's it's down to the play of Sissoko against the, the Liverpool midfield, whether or not his midfield partners are attacking-minded or uh, a little bit more defensive. Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit worried for Liverpool um, just because it's been... It's been so long since they they last played. What was it, almost three weeks or two weeks? A little over two weeks, I'd say, since their last game. They they finished the season very strong. They won seven in a row. They were in excellent form. Tottenham weren't. Uh, but now there's been so much time for both teams to regroup. A form is going to go completely out the window, and I think that will, in a way, benefit uh, this Tottenham side who have really just overperformed in this competition. They they I, they have to feel like it's sort of destined for it to go their way. Whereas I think Liverpool are a little bit uh, removed from that feeling of disappointment that they finished so strong yet still lost out to City in the league. And then also, you know, there's there's last year. They, they fell short last year. So um, 
I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to how this game goes. I think it's it's, be, it's better for the fan that obviously um, form gets thrown out the window because I think it's going to be a a really really exciting match. Yeah, um, and I think that for for Liverpool to go home with uh, with the Champions League trophy, they're going to have to. Um, they they need everything they can get out of out of their wingers. Um, not like I said, we're not sure who's starting at striker for Liverpool. If it's going to be Firmino, it, you know, sometimes they've gone um, with Origi. They have you know moved Mosala central and played um, Shakiri out wide. You know, they there's a couple different options they have um, if Firmino isn't fit to start, but. If Salah and Mane are out, you know, outside on the wings in a front three, Mane going at a struggling Kieran Trippier and Salah going at Danny Rose, who, um, you know, Salah will outpace Rose any day of the week. Um, I, I think that is a really, really solid attacking point. But the center back pairing for for Tottenham. Alderweireld and Vertonghen have been absolutely fantastic. Um, I like I I would expect them to go with a, a back four, even if they didn't. If they went back three, um, Tottenham they would have a little bit more protection at the back. But that that midfield battle then would be tougher. Like I said for Sissoko, um, but I think for for Tottenham the the man to pay attention to is Sissoko and for Liverpool it's it's Mane. Mane's been fantastic this season. He was tied for the golden boot um with Salah and Aubameyang in the Premier League scoring 22 goals. His form has been absolutely fantastic. Um consistent throughout this season and I think he is going to be a huge huge player for Liverpool on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's gonna be exciting. Do you now? You are very happy because you don't have to watch the game, correct? Oh my god, I couldn't be happier. I really uh. couldn't be. Um, we we mentioned a couple weeks ago how you know between work and other things, uh, I haven't had the greatest record of actually being able to watch the Champions League final. This year, I'm happy with it. I you know if Liverpool win, good for them. Um, good for Jurgen Klopp, who I've criticized uh, greatly. And if Tottenham win, then I will be giving up sports as a whole and uh, pretty much not going out in public ever again, I'd say. That's fair. Yeah, fair. that's. I'm not being dramatic there, right? No, no, no. no, no. That's, that good. is totally fair. Good. Because, you know, on... On Saturday, I have the pleasure of working from 10 a.m. until 9, or 10 a.m. until 10 p.m. So uh, I don't even get close to being able to watch the game. So, um, you know, still still going to be checking my phone and hoping yeah. hoping it turns out the way that I want it to turn out. But yeah, you won't be able to help yourself. But I will any. not. I won't have to. It would be more agonizing to actually be watching it. Um, it will be agonizing either way. But I, 
I don't actually have to witness witness close chances that missed and have my blood pressure spike through the roof. It's just kind of I'll see when a goal is scored and and that'll be that. What are your what are your predictions? What do you uh, think? Spurs 5-0. What are your actual predictions? Don't give me you you just you're trying to you're trying to uh set yourself up for um not being disappointed. Spurs 4-0. Oh my gosh. Now I I this, really This I, isn't going to be a like the Europa League final. It's going to be a one goal game. <laughs> Spurs winning 4-0. I think that Liverpool will be the best English side to take home no silverware. 2-1 Spurs win it. I think I think Liverpool score first and Spurs come back uh in similar fashion to like what they did against Ajax just not uh not as far down. So I think I think that's that's the way it goes. My my guess is Liverpool goes into the half with a lead. Spurs uh, change things up at halftime, and um, the second half is is theirs to be won. What are your What are your thoughts on this one? Um, I'm I'm very much still up in the air. I think. Well, it's time to not be up in the air. I know. I think it's going to. I think it is going to go into extra time. Okay. This this will not be decided in ninety minutes, and part of me wants to say two one extra time or two two penalties. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Spurs win it on penalties. Two two, Spurs win it on penalties. Um, they well, I don't know they win four three on penalties. Who who scores the winning goal, or is it a winning save from Hugo Lloris? That oh that's a, that's exciting. That is a good question. I think Christian Eriksen gets the winner. All right. I uh, and regardless of whether or not um, Hugo, it is a, a winning save and a penalty she got for Lloris. What what a year it would be for him. Uh, to win the World Cup with to captain the World Cup winning side in July and then to captain the Champions League winning side uh, in the following season. Yeah, I mean, it would be yeah. I mean, look at look at what uh what Giroud did. Giroud won the World Cup. Fuck didn't him. score a single goal. <laughs> didn't score a single goal for the for France. Led the line the entire World Cup, and then you know he uh. He, uh, you know, got the uh, golden boot of the Europa League and also lifted lifted the trophy. So, could be the year of the Frenchman. The year of the Frenchman. All right, that's uh, that's an interesting take. Now, this is uh, this is the part of the pod where I'm supposed to give you a delusion, and I've been so delusional throughout the past 24 hours that I don't know exactly how to narrow down exactly what I want to say. The delusion is unsurprisingly... uh, I have several 
delusions surrounding Arsenal, unsurprisingly. Um, but I am going to say that I, I already had a delusion that Arsenal would not finish in the top six next season. It wasn't really mainly focused on Arsenal not finishing in the top six. It was focusing on another club coming into the top six. Um, but I will go ahead and say that Arsenal will not play in the Champions League for at least the next three seasons. Nothing about the direction that the club is going in signals that they're going to be getting better. I ta- I mentioned to you on the phone last night um, about how I don't... Th- I don't care about the uh, the point total going up from last year by seven points. The failure to qualify for the Champions League via the Premier League this season for Arsenal was embarrassing. They looked the favorites to finish third at a point uh, and finish fifth. And you could say that all the all those teams going for top four really just stumbled, and uh, you know the two who actually claimed top four um, were kind of fortunate that the others played so poorly, but uh, the point totals from year to year fluctuate depending on how good teams are at the bottom, how, like, you know, how, and how other teams play, um, consistency, schedules, injuries, all play factors. So, saying seven points better and losing a European final instead of you losing a European semifinal, it doesn't look like that much of an improvement for me and from, yeah. from my point of view. And it may not be an awful thing for the long-term future of the club that they don't make the champion. If, if my delusion turns out to be right and they don't make the champions league for, uh, at least three years, because you have to look back at look back at Liverpool. There were season seasons on seasons on seasons that they weren't finishing in the top four. They were finishing as low as seventh and eighth. Um, when the, the season that Klopp took over, they finished eighth. I know he didn't uh, take charge of that team for the entire year, but they were they were poor that year, um, and it's forced the owners to go out spend money. They brought in a great manager with Klopp. They went out, they spent money on big-time players, and they're now playing in their second cha- second consecutive Champions League final, and they just won, or they just came in second in the league with the, what, the third highest point total in, uh, in Premier League history. So um, they're, they're moving in the right direction, and... It happened because of how how long they really weren't playing well for. So it it could be good for Arsenal. Um, get younger, let the uh, get rid of the dead wood. Let the older players move on. Um, sell the players that are not up to the level of Arsenal Football Club. But it, that's not an overnight project. Yeah, I mean you you have to think maybe. Finishing outside any sort of European qualification could be good for them. 
when you look at what happened with Chelsea, they won the title, then they had their awful season, but they finished 10th, and then that allowed a new manager to come in and not have to worry about um, European competition, and they were able to focus on the Premier League and, and win the whole thing again. So it, it will be... It will be interesting. Yeah, it, it, like it's it's crazy to think of a team like Arsenal not being in the Champions League for three more years. But again, when you bring up like Liverpool or you bring up the time, you, if you think about United post Sir Alex, like those teams went through similar periods. Um, so it's not that crazy to think that a team like Arsenal could go through a similar. Uh, a period, but you know, like Liverpool is a prime example. They are, they are back. The you know the two teams that that I just mentioned both in successive seasons finished second in the league, so behind an amazing Manchester City team. So so it's not all over for for Arsenal. Could be could be rough going for for a little bit, but um, the club is big enough. It has enough history to where they will they will eventually find their their way back. You would hope so. You would hope so. So, yeah, hang in there. I mean, it, I mean, you could very much face the worst week of your entire life if our predictions ring true. Um, but that 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 let's let's. Uh, Let's end your misery now. Uh, this has been... That's fine with me. Yeah, this has been Footy Ado, a delusional soccer podcast. Footy Ado, a soccer delusion shared by two brothers in close association. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Twitter, at Footy Ado, on Instagram, at Footy Ado. Look out for our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. Uh, we're on, or you know, wherever you get your podcasts. But again, wherever you listen, thank you for listening. And as always, pardon our French.